Different music today, everybody. That's because this song is special. It exists in part because of our show. My name is Rachel Garcia, and I'm a musician. Rachel's the singer that you're hearing here. She sent me this lullaby a couple of years ago. She told me the longest, shortest time inspired her to write it. It's pretty, right? But there's a story behind the song. It's a story that'll be familiar to a lot of you, but that I've never heard told quite the way that Rachel will tell it today. So you know that thing that happens when you're friends with somebody and one of you becomes a parent and the other doesn't? That is what this song is really about. So Rachel, um, Rachel is the friend who doesn't have kids. When she wrote to me about two years ago, here's what she said. She said, I am not a mom, and I want nothing to do with being a mom. Uh, I'm 29, certainly of baby-having age, and in a long-term committed partnership, but it just has never hit me. I don't feel the pull, the glow, the ache for children. I feel that feeling for dogs and for desserts, but not for children. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. I think when you have kids, you can get so caught up in kid world that it's like hard to know what your friends without kids might be going through. And it's not like this stuff is easy for parents and non-parents to talk about together. But today, Rachel is going to share all of the mixed up feelings that were going on for her when her first friend had a baby. And the friend, the friend's going to be here too. And, and you guys, I could not believe how much stuff this conversation brought up for me personally. You'll see what I mean. And, and I think that no matter what side you fall on, whether you have kids or, or no kids, you will find something to relate to here. Rachel and her friend Emily live in L.A., that's where the Earwolf West studio is. So we sent them there to record. Hi, it's Rachel. Nice to finally speak with you. You too. Hi there, I'm Emily. I'm a lot more shy than Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> These friends, Rachel and Emily, they're pretty different. Rachel's a musician. Emily's a public defender. Rachel's stylish. She keeps up on the latest clothing and makeup trends. Emily says she makes the least effort she can get away with to look presentable. Rachel and Emily met five years ago through mutual friends. They hung out a lot in a group of couples. There was Rachel and her partner, Emily and her husband, and then there were the friends who'd introduced them to each other. They were all in their mid-20s, and they'd go hang out at the beach or public pools, or they'd go out for brunch. They'd catch up on, like, whatever Emily's latest trial was or Rachel's most recent day job, once she was a hostess at a restaurant, once she was an Uber driver— Emily says Rachel was the best Uber driver because she kept a basket of granola bars and gum for her riders. So, you know, they'd talk a lot about work. But they didn't talk so much about the future or, you know, whether any of these couples wanted to have kids someday. Well, you know, becoming a mom for me was the kind of thing that I always thought that a lot of other people would do first, like a lot of my friends would do first. And I would, you know, see them and then I would make my own decision. But then... Emily got pregnant, and she was the first. 
And um, yeah, I feel like once I became pregnant, I was like, yeah, I do really want to become a mother, <laughs> you know? For the first trimester, Emily kept the pregnancy to herself. She didn't tell her friends. She told <laughs> they told us at, we had a birthday party for our dog. Um, <laughs> it was just like at a dog park and there were like, it was, it was nicer than most children's <laughs> birthdays. There were party favors. There, there were, were like dog, well, doggy bags. So, um, and like the party kind of was kind of ending. It was just like a core group of friends left and they sort of announced it. By the end of the party, Emily can't stand it anymore. She kind of blurts out the news like, hey guys, I'm pregnant. But remember, Emily is the shy one. So she, she's gotten this out and now she kind of wants the conversation to move on. She looks to Rachel. And I remember sitting on like a picnic blanket and um, kind of I almost felt f like frozen by the information. I was just like, that information means that things are going to be different forever and that they're changing and they, they're not going, they're changing forever and they can't go back. Um, and also, you know, your friends are, they're stepping into this like, into this club of um, parents that you're not a part of. So, um, you know, you. I think you also wonder what your, like, value is as a friend that's um, child-free. Rachel was the first person to introduce me to this term, child-free, a couple years ago. Now, remember, this term is, is a term that Terry Gross said she hates in my interview with her. But I love how much Rachel embraces this word. You also wonder what your, like, value is as a friend that's um, child-free to a parent because they really need other parents around to, you know, trade stories with. And also there's a threat of, like, well, what is my value to them um, once they have kids? Rachel's kind of panicking, but but she pulls it together enough to give Emily a hug and look excited. Which, you know, she she is excited for her friends, but at the same time, she's sad for herself. It was complicated for Emily, too. You know, I came, I came at it from the perspective of when I become a mom, I don't want to have a whole bunch of mom friends and parent friends. I want to keep my own friends and, uh, and just, you know, continue to be friends with them, even if it changes a little bit. And so my, my greatest fear was that, you know, Rachel and some of my other friends would pull away. Were you nervous to tell her? It was emotional telling them because as much as you want things to be exactly the same, they really aren't. You know, so I'm getting emotional. <laughs> That's probably because I'm, you know, I'm pregnant now as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, just the words emotional and changes can set off a pregnant woman. Emily's eight months pregnant with her second child now. Um. But, and I also wanted to be still thought of for myself and not just um, as the pregnant friend or as the mom friend. Now, I've got to say, I totally get this. When I had a baby six years ago, I had a couple of friends who had kids, but not many. And most of them didn't live anywhere near me. I just wanted to keep going with my non-parent friends. I imagined like bringing the baby along with me to picnics or putting the baby to bed and having my friends hang out on the back patio drinking wine. But things turned out to be really hard for me in the beginning, and I wasn't able to get out for picnics for months. 
My friends who didn't have kids were sympathetic, but I could also see that they were frustrated. Like even when I was able to get out, I'd meet up with my friends and try to come up with stuff that we could both talk about. But this baby thing, it was the only thing in my life at the time. I remember trying to make conversation and and asking one friend if she thought that the baby looked like me at all. And she just kind of like looked at me and said, all babies look alike to me. You know, I don't know what to tell you. It doesn't take much to imagine that we dropped out of each other's lives. So like Rachel and Emily's fear of this pregnancy being the end of their friendship, it was totally justified. You know, it happens all the time. It was actually really eye-opening for me to talk to Rachel about this stuff because she helped me to understand what might have been going on in my own friend's heads when I became a mom. And it's actually a lot more complicated than just a simple dislike of babies or mom culture. It's hard when you start to see someone in a different, choosing something different to not um, be both threatened by it and like reject it and then also really want to be a part of that too. Um, it brought up a lot of questions um, for me and and my partner and, you know, we started to ask ourselves, well, well do we want kids? And um, it felt like a dam had broken open and, and it's like, oh, we're, we're behind and we need to think about, we need to actually ask ourselves this question. And... Um, so so what were those conversations like with your partner? Um, what what conclusion did you come to? We've talked we talk about it. It wasn't just one conversation. We talk about it a lot. Um, and we're we're continually on the same page, which is really lucky. Um, but the conversations are sort of like, well, would you like a kid now? And we always say, no. We, we don't. Um, we really enjoy hanging out with kids and then giving them back to their parents and going home. Um, so the conversations are ongoing and we're always reevaluating. Um, but it always ends up just being, um, no, I don't, I don't want that right now. So, um, Emily, when you hear that, um, how does that feel to you? You know, it's interesting because I do remember having a couple of conversations with Rachel about specifics, like what about having a child do you not want? Because I was, you know, you're curious. I wanted to find out were there any specific kind of concerns that Rachel had. And I remember her saying like just the whole thing, like becoming (laughs) pregnant, you know, like even thinking about delivering a child or the hospital or that whole thing. Um, but I remember being very conscious of, as it got closer and closer to my due date with Malcolm, of wanting to make the experience as, like, the least traumatizing as possible <laughs> to my childless friends. So as soon as I had Malcolm, I told as many people as I could, including Rachel, several times, you wouldn't believe how it just, it was, you know, I got an epidural and then a couple pushes later and everything was fine and I was up and walking and, and, uh, cause I wanted to at least take that, like that concern away from her about the, the actual childbirth itself being frightening. Was that the truth? It was the truth. It was the truth. Mm, so um, you were re- you were actually representing it the way you felt about it. 
yes, I mean, I was worried about it too. And I was pleasantly surprised at how few things there were that really did scare me once it was happening. Were you like um, presenting the more positive side of things to Rachel because you were hoping that one day she would join you in like camp motherhood? No, because <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I say, I say, I, well, so, you know, part of me does want her to have children because I think that Malcolm has brought a dimension to my life and my husband's life that wasn't there before. But, you know, it is her decision to make. But one of the reasons why I did feel like I wanted to at least talk about the childbirth with her is something that was fine is because if that becomes her only reason for not having a child, then that shouldn't be the reason. Because that part, you know, I would say is the easy part of having a child. So I'm listening to Emily say this. I was cringing big time. You know, I I started this podcast because I had a really rough childbirth and recovery. And I don't say this to scare anybody, but it's just the truth. You know, childbirth can be traumatic. It's not easy for everybody. And it made me nervous to think about Emily giving Rachel the impression that it is. No judgment to Emily, though. You know, I totally get why she'd want to make childbirth seem like not a big deal. I mean, first of all, for her, it wasn't. But also, you know how Emily's pregnancy made Rachel question her own decision to not have kids? Well, it goes both ways. When you're having kids and you find out that your friend is not going to have kids, that can make you question whether you're making the right choice, too. You wonder what you'll be missing out on. Because either way, there's no getting around it. You know, you're missing out on something. So Rachel and Emily... They're asking themselves, now that Emily's a mom, are we still going to be friends? Coming up, Rachel hatches a plan. Stay with us. We're back with Emily Rosenfeld and Rachel Garcia. When we left off, Emily had just given birth to her first child, Malcolm. And Rachel was pretty sure she never wanted to be a mom herself. They were both nervous about whether their friendship would end. There was a secret, though, that Rachel was keeping from Emily. As Emily's belly got bigger and bigger, she got closer to her due date, Rachel was working on a project. It's a project she was actually working on with her partner. His name's Two. He's also her bandmate. Rachel and Two have a duo called The Singer and The Songwriter. So Rachel and Two, they were trying to figure out what they would bring Emily in the hospital once the baby was born. And it was hard to know, like, what the right thing would be, because they'd never had a friend give birth before. Rachel tells me she'd been listening to The Longest Shortest Time back then, hearing about different struggles that new parents go through. And she wanted to show Emily that, you know, maybe she would never be a mom herself. But still, she was there. Like, she got it from the outside. And that's where the song comes in. Rachel and Two would spend nights and weekends working on the melody, the lyrics. We wanted the melody to be kind of simple so that um, it could be um, like learned and that Emily and Todd could sing along to it too. I think we just thought about what a kid maybe would want to be thinking about and what would be relaxing to him to be able to sleep. 
So we just thought about different animals sort of um, ushering him into sleep. Rachel sang, two played guitar. They recorded the song on their computer, threw it on a CD, and they brought it to the hospital when baby Malcolm was just a day old. The label on the CD case said, for baby Rosenfeld. They didn't know his name yet. Cross the sea, cross the sea. I was blown away. It was literally like the next day after I gave birth. And so, you know, obviously I was very emotional anyway. And it was just so sweet, you know, because it's it's different than when someone brings you balloons or a little bouquet. But when someone has written a song for your son, and it was a great song. (laughs) I mean, I was prepared to say it was a great song no matter what, and I would have, but it is a legitimately wonderful lullaby and it has worked on several occasions <laughs> in those long early nights of multiple wake-ups to put Malcolm to sleep. So I think it served its purpose very well. But getting the baby to sleep, of course, was not Rachel's only purpose of writing this lullaby. Yeah, it felt like a it felt like trying a little bit to lock in to them. Um to kind of like um I guess there was like a little undercurrent like of a selfish desire of like don't forget about us we're we're still here and um we can hopefully still be you know helpful to you um even though you've moved into this next phase of your life um Rachel it sounds like you were nervous about Malcolm entering the picture about Emily becoming a mom um how did uh, Malcolm being born change your friendship with Emily? I mean, you know, there's a long time where they're, like, 
deeply tired. <laughs> um, and you would just go to them. You just go to their house. Um, and that's often still the case. I think um, it's sometimes better to just go to to them than like try to meet them at a restaurant. Um, and sometimes we do things like we'll go over in the evening and we'll see Malcolm for a little while and then he'll be put to bed, which is funny because we have to um, we turn off all the lights. <laughs> Everyone says, good night, we're going to sleep now. And then you like walk through the house and you turn off all the lights, turning this light. That's a whole thing. And then we all sit in the dark for just a second. And then we, and then Emily will come out and say, he's, he's asleep now. <laughs> and then we'll turn the lights back on. Um, <laughs> um, so it's mostly, it's, it's actually wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Rachel says it's actually pretty fun. She and two chase Malcolm around. They read to him. They bring him Star Wars tattoos. They do that thing where they pretend to crack an egg on his head and make the yolk run down his face. We just like to um, have fun with him and be silly and then return him. <laughs> <laughs> because why? What, what would it mean to not be able to return a child? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's three, so like... He, he's really spirited and, and he can be really strong-willed. Um, and so there's like, there's a moment where he kind of like switches, you know, and he like needs to have a nap immediately and or he needs to go home immediately. Um, and so it, it feels, it feels scary when he, when he gets, when he's upset about something or he needs something or he's, he needs to change his environment. It feels really, um, I get real tunnel vision-y and I start to feel very panicked like like the sound of a kid getting upset and crying feels really bad um, so it's really nice to be able to see him when he's like feeling great and then and then say goodbye so Rachel plays with Malcolm says goodbye goes back to her regular life but it's not like what she's going back to is all that relaxed Rachel's a musician but she's always had a day job most recently she worked at a salon as an esthetician and was just waxing. So I would just like do like 15 Brazilians a day, which is, well, <laughs> you know what a Brazilian is. I do. Um, and I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's a super bizarre, such a bizarre job because you like within like two minutes of meeting someone, you'll ask them to remove their pants. <laughs> <laughs> and then right. you come back into the room where you're going to wax and there's like a naked lady on your table. And so it's it's a really like I've seen everything and um it's such an intimate um strange job. In some ways Rachel says waxing is an easy job. It's good money. You know, it's not mentally draining. But waxing is also physically strenuous. Every night Rachel would go home with an aching back an aching neck, shoulder pain. Her feet would kill from standing eight hours a day. She'd have to take a leave and sit with a heating pad on her neck, which meant she couldn't be doing what she really wanted to be doing after work, making music. Rachel thought a lot about how Emily was going through this big life change, you know, doing something that was really fulfilling her. And while Rachel didn't want kids, she was aching for a big life change too. In a minute... Rachel goes for it, does something that most of us don't have the guts to do. Don't go away. <laughs> We're back with Emily Rosenfeld and Rachel Garcia. 
So day after day, Rachel went to her waxing job. On nights and weekends, between heating pad treatments, she and two would write and record songs. After a few years, they had enough for their first album. The last track on the album was the lullaby that they made for baby Malcolm. It's actually called A Lullaby for Malcolm. Meanwhile, Emily got pregnant with her second child. She and her husband bought a house. And every time Rachel and two would visit Emily's family, they'd be like, this actually looks pretty nice. We're just watching um, our other like our other life lived out in front of us, another another choice lived out in front of us. And so they came back to that question. Are we making the right choice? Rachel emailed me recently to tell me she'd been wrestling with this really hard. In her email, she wrote, I still feel deeply conflicted about having children. A few more friends have taken this leap and it throws me each time. I'm still feeling the weight of this question heavily. There's a mix of confusion, shame, joy, freedom, and worry when I think about having kids or not. She told me that she and two process their feelings over this the same way that they process their fear over losing Emily and her husband back when they had Malcolm. They wrote a song about it. It's called Impractical Art. So that song goes, All my friends are having babies, but I just want a dog. They tell me I'm crazy because I don't see the big idea with babies when I could have a dog. So what if it's not meant to be, meant for me? I'm fine. Time is on my side. Right, right, right. And then it goes on. Truth be told, I thought by now I would have a little more to show for myself. But I'm not that far off from a house with a yard if I only keep holding on. Damn this impractical art, leaving me here to starve. I'm fine. Time is on my side. Right, right, right. This song is mostly just about wrestling with those questions of um, of trying to figure out what we want and um, is there time to change your mind? So you you sound um, torn there. Are you? Yeah. So I think I I I wish that I I actually wish that I wanted children. I wish that I. That um, sounded really good to me, but it doesn't. Why do you wish it sounded good? Because it just—I don't know. It, It's—it just feels like the like there's a really clear trajectory to a life like that. It's true, you know. Having a baby does create a trajectory for your life. 
I mean, there are lots of ways to have a family, but kids do limit your options. Without kids, Rachel and two had a million different possible roadmaps in front of them. And for a long time, it was hard to figure out what their next step would be. But now they figured it out. Yes. Um, so two and I are going um, on tour. As in quitting their jobs to go on tour. My last day at my day job was Saturday and and two has put in notice to his job and we're, um, we're just like selling all of our stuff and then moving the rest of the stuff into my parents' home in San Francisco. They're going to live out of their car, make a go of it as full-time musicians, playing in cafes and bars and restaurants and selling records. It's actually been a couple months since I recorded my interview with Rachel, and she and two are already touring. They started in California, then hit Oregon, Washington, Montana, Utah. They're on their way to Arizona now, and they're just going to keep going. There's no end date on the calendar. In Rachel's latest email to me, she said she felt a mix of relief and jealousy when she saw her friend Emily's life. She said she'd never said this out loud to Emily, and she wondered if Emily felt the same about her. Rachel said she wanted to ask Emily this question, but it felt scary. So I was like, let's ask her in the most laid-back, no-pressure way possible. Let's ask her on the podcast. So Emily, I want to pose that to you. Do you feel a, a mix of relief and jealousy when you look at Rachel's life? I definitely do. And I remember when she and two told us that they were going to go on tour indefinitely. And it was when it was the like a couple of days after New Year's and we walked to view the Rose Parade floats. And Rachel's like, we're going to go out on tour. And I said, well, when are you going to be back? And she was <laughs> like, well, it's going to be indefinite. And you know, at first I was shocked, but when my husband and I were laying in bed that night, I mean, both of us, like eyes large, were just thinking, oh my goodness, they are going out on this huge, exciting adventure. There no strings attached and just seeing what comes, you know? And I think with the way things now with our mortgage and our jobs and Malcolm, you know, I can't see a time in the future where we can even have a couple of days by ourselves. So I think while I'm, I am happy in the life that, that I chose, you know, Rachel is a kind of a living embodiment of all the exciting things that you know, I could potentially be doing now instead of cleaning crayon off the walls and making macaroni and cheese for the 500th time. <laughs> By choosing the path that is an unending, possibly lifelong tour, Rachel will not be able to save much money, which she says is scary, but not so scary without kids. The thing that does seem to scare her is that big question she can't seem to let go of. What if I change my mind? More and more of her friends have been joining what she calls mom club. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's a, that's a motivating factor to ask myself if I want kids is just to even be a part of this unspoken lady society. 
you know, that thing where moms will see each other out with their kids and the kids will be throwing a tantrum and the moms will just shoot each other a look like, honey, I get it. I, I, yeah, it's, it's really scary to not be a part of this group that like most people that I know eventually will be a part of this group. Um, I have to keep reminding myself that, um, the decision to have kids or to not have kids are equal paths. Emily says she never even wanted mom club. She just wanted to stay friends with her friends. Not only did Rachel make that possible, she made it easy. She even makes it easy from thousands of miles away. Rachel brought one of little Malcolm's stuffed animals on tour with her. It's an otter named Little Lady. Rachel and two have been taking pictures and videos of Little Lady all over the country and sending them to Malcolm. And Malcolm, he sends videos right back to them. Ready? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I love you. Do you want to say anything else to him? I hope you're doing good. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Emily's next baby is due in July. You can find out where Rachel and Two, the singer and the songwriter, are headed and hear more of their music at our website. Now, not all of us have Rachel's singing abilities, but I know that lots of you have figured out creative ways of staying friends with your friends who have kids or your friends who don't have kids. We want to hear how you've done it. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and tell all in the comments for this episode. That's episode 83. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado and Antonia Acatunde. Thanks to Cody Scully for recording Rachel and Emily's side of the conversation. I will be back next week with a brand new episode when a mom talks about moving with her son to Japan to escape police brutality. Being Black in Japan is interesting. Um, We definitely stand out. Um, There is a misconception that I am cool and I can sing and dance and rap. That and other stories from Modern Mia, the great project about moms of color. It was started by Antonia Akatunde. She's on our editorial board. She does this project about moms, but she does not have kids herself. We had a super interesting conversation, so don't miss it. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please rate us and write us a review. It really helps us to jump in the charts. As always, we are looking for stories from you whether you have kids or not. We're especially looking right now for stories about hysterectomies and about taking care of your aging parents. But really, we like anything that's surprising about parents and kids. So go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. Stand up. You sing your wolf? This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com.